0: Well, it's been said before, humans are creatures of habit. While most would agree with this statement, few understand just how dangerous and also how wonderful it is to be a creature of habit. Far too often, we think of a habit as something we do on a whim, something we may not even be conscious of while we are doing it. And therein lies the danger. Just because a person can unconsciously do something and call it a habit does not make it any less impactful to oneself or to others. More often than not, when we realize that something's a habit, don't we just kind of shrug it off, shrug it away? That's just a habit. I don't know exactly why I got mad. I just tend to fly off the handle sometimes. I'm not sure why I'm so drawn to Twitter. It's just too easy to get lost there for hours. I can't seem to keep a regular rhythm of Bible reading. There's just so many confusing things in there. By the way, did you see that the Chiefs won their sixth straight AFC West title? It's being predicted that they're going to be given the number one seed in the playoffs. Generally speaking... When we recognize something unhealthy or at the least imbalanced in our lives, we tend to call it a bad habit, and then we stop there without asking any further questions. Now, here's the truth about our habits. Our habits can tell us much more about ourselves if only we would stop long enough to assess them. The dangerously overlooked truth about our habits is that they reveal what we worship with great precision. Have you ever thought about your habits being that? They reveal what you really worship with great precision. If I track the fruit of my habitual tendencies down to its root, what would I find there? Here's the reality about our habits— Habits are the muscle memory of worship. They are the natural reflexes that reveal the object or the objects of our love and devotion. They give us insight to the internal status of our hearts. You see, you cannot see the invisible heart. You can see the habits which flow from the heart. They're symptomatic of what's in the heart. Your habits are not just habits. They're the heart's actions and desires in fleshed, in action. And so, let's turn the question inward, shall we? What a wonderful way to start 2022, right? What do your habits reveal about you? What do your habits reveal about you? The word habit is not found in many places in the New Testament, but the concept fills the New Testament, nevertheless. For example, the New Testament writers often talk about life as a walk in one direction or another. Paul utilizes the metaphor more than any of the other biblical writers does. In Ephesians, he tells his readers to walk in love, meaning that they are to live (coughs) in a way that shows Christ-like love to others. Later in the same letter, he says, walk as children of light. Still later Paul warns that Christians are to look carefully how you walk not as unwise but as wise. And he repeats similar exhortations in other letters like Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, chapter 4 verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 4:1. You see it's the walk that is your comprehensive life. The New Testament writers see all of life, your choices, your desires, your affections, your words, your actions, and yes, even your habits as being the comprehensive walk that you are living in. Everything we do in life is reflective of our walk in the direction we are heading. Now, following this metaphor, think of your habits as small steps in the same direction. What you do, even if it is just a habit, reveals the real orientation of your heart. The real orientation of your heart. When it comes to addressing habits, there's hardly a clearer passage than Galatians 5.16-25. through 25. Here, Paul dissects what a walk in the flesh looks like, and shows just how different it is from a walk in the Spirit. He tells us what's at the root of our temper tantrums. Have you ever flown off the handle and raged at your spouse? Paul tells you what's at the bottom of that. That's not just a reaction. There's something underlying it. That fruit grows in a very specific kind of soil. Have you ever just lost it with somebody? Said words that you would have never said in your wildest dreams. Those aren't just flukes. Porn addictions are not just flukes, envy-driven competitions, and even our bad habit of dividing from one another doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's grown in a very specific soil. Paul presses us to see that our habits are just the fruits that reveal what soil our roots are buried in. They indicate what God or gods we depend upon for nourishment, satisfaction, and life. Now, in that light, I think it's paramount. It's, it's the, the, the primary thing that you should be doing at the beginning of this year is to assess how you are walking on a day-to-day basis. What habits have crept in your life that are actually indicative of worshiping a different God? Am I exaggerating habits too much? Some may say yes. Some may say no. But the reality is, That all of life is lived either for God or against God. All of life is lived in obedience to God or in disobedience to God. All of life is boiled down to that. Even your habits, even those reactions, those quick statements that you make, those quick overreactions that you have, even those go down to a very specific soil of worship and adoration and devotion, and it makes up your walk as a person. So let's look at a couple of principles about our habits. You'll find principle number one in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. According to Paul, there's an invisible war being raised inside of you at this moment if you're a Christian. And your habits, the things you do, are the battleground upon which the opponents fight for victory. On the one side, we have the desires of the Spirit, the will of God, everything that God wants us to be, say, and do. We have the desires of the Spirit. On the other side, stand the desires of the flesh, all the lusty temptations and for immediate gratification, that, that secret state, that secret outlash that you just want to give to your stupid boss. All that stands on one side, desires of the flesh. Paul says that these two sets of desires are antagonistic to each other, and neither can abide the other's gratification. You see, this, this war is raging, And they are mortal enemies against each other. They are vehemently opposed. They seek the complete annihilation of the other. The spirit wants nothing more than the flesh to die. The flesh wants nothing more than the spirit to flee. They want to consume each other. The moment you begin following the one, the other is there to challenge your direction. We've all felt this, right? There you are with your Bible ready. You got it open. You have your Bible reading plan for 2022. You're ready for a deep dive into the word. But then comes a notification across your iPhone offering you the latest dirt on some politician or celebrity. And along with it, a temptation to waste the hour scrolling through the gossip. The flesh's desires never stand idly by while you are trying to follow the Spirit. You realize that? Why is it never easy to walk with the Lord? Why is prayer so daggum hard? Why do I feel just this ugh, infinite boredom when I come to Leviticus in my reading plan? Why does Twitter seem way more shiny to me than scripture memory? Why is it easier? For me to tell someone off than it is to give them an encouragement. Friends, that's the war. That's the battle. The flesh cannot abide the spirit getting what it wants. The flesh hates God, everything about God. And if God gets what he wants and the flesh doesn't, it cannot abide by it, it will not stand idly by. The good news is, neither will the Spirit stand aside when you are tempted to follow the flesh. It goes both ways. The flesh won't stand by when the Spirit's drawing you to Himself, but the Spirit won't stand by when the flesh begins to do the same. If you're a Christian, the Spirit's pull can be felt as He confronts the dark desires of your temptation. How many times, Christian, have you in the moment of your sin felt the subtle tinge, out of nowhere, of conviction that what you are about to do is not holy for your good and for God's glory. Just out of nowhere. I mean, there you are. You're just resolved. You've already seen the image. You're ready to act. You've already heard your wife say that thing. You're ready to speak back. And then suddenly out of nowhere comes this tinge of, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that wouldn't be altogether for my good. That unexpected challenge that makes you think again about what you're about to watch, say, or think is no mere Jiminy Cricket. I hate to say that. No little Disney character on your shoulder whispering to you what you ought to do. That's called the Holy Spirit. You should probably get to know Him. The more you hear that tinge and you listen to that tinge of conviction, the more you'll find yourself not giving the flesh what it wants. The Spirit desires things that are at odds with whatever sinful desires we are tempted to fulfill. And so if we do indeed have the spirit, then he will work endlessly day and night to draw our hearts away from the desires of the flesh. If there's no pulling, if there's no battle, if there's no struggle, there's need for deep, deep, deep concern. Because that means there's no enemy of the flesh living within you. But as long as there's that struggle as long as we feel the tension, the battle raging inside of us, we can know it's because there's flesh and the spirit at war inside of us. So we all like to talk about the language of war and arming up for battle? Let me tell you, the biggest battle you'll ever fight in 2022 is not with liberals, not with other people, with guns, not with other nations. The biggest battle you will ever fight in your life is with yourself.
1: And it happens in your chest. It is a
0: cosmic battle. It is a battle that is more powerful than if a nuclear bomb were to go off and has infinitely far more important results from that battle than if a nuclear war were to happen. It affects eternity.
1: Paul boils down
0: all of life to those two walks of life. And so you might think, okay, you're oversimplifying it. You're telling me I'm either in the flesh or I'm in the spirit. I'm not saying that. Paul is saying that. Either we are walking by the spirit or we are walking in the flesh. Every choice we make, desire that we cling to, even the habits we practice are revealing which of these two walks we are walking. When a man shouts at his wife, it is not just a temper problem. It is a flesh problem, and it inevitably shows a life that is surrendered, at least for that moment, if not for more permanent time, to fleshly gratification. When a person is energized by gossip, it's not just a bad habit of talking negatively about people. It's the feeding of the flesh. Every sinful tendency keeps the flesh fat and happy. Every little habit that we think is benign is actually food that the flesh thinks is scrumptious, delicious, good, and wants more of it. I think this applies to what we watch on our Instagram reels. Ever just got lost in those little two-minute videos on Instagram? Next thing you know, you're seeing things that you shouldn't see. I think it applies to the way that we react when we are cut off on the interstate. It applies to the way we respond when a co-worker falls through on a promise. It applies to what we do when somebody else says something we don't agree with. And on and on. The only way you can know whether or not you are gratifying the flesh is if you walk by the Spirit. This is why Paul gives the imperative walk by the Spirit, and then he follows it with a promise, that if you do so, you will not gratify the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This means that our sinful habits, thoughts, and actions can only be avoided by living intentionally under the Spirit's power, leading, and authority. Intentionally, not passively, living intentionally under his authority, submitting ourselves daily to what God wants for us, not what we think is right, not what we desire at that moment. Freedom from sin comes only by submission to God. It can come in no other way. Without that submission, you will remain hopelessly enslaved to the flesh Will be forced to do and give whatever it wants. You will have no choice. And so, let me ask you the question. And it's between you and God at this moment to answer this question. Who is it that gets what he wants from your habits? Can you honestly say that the Spirit gets what he wants from my reactions, my impulses, My reflexes? My habitual lifestyle?
1: Or is it the flesh? How you answer,
0: as dangerous as this is, let me just tell you, you pay me to be this honest. How you answer reveals who you follow. Either the flesh or the spirit. Simple as that. Principle number two is found in verse 18. Paul makes an important qualification that is living by the spirit and living under the law are not the same thing, right? We, we tend to think it is, but it's not. He writes, but if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What does it mean to live under the law? And how does that differ from being led by the spirit? I think it's important to remember why Paul is writing the letter to the Galatians, they were being drawn away by these Judaizers who mandated obedience to old covenant laws like circumcision, like new moon festivals, like staying away from certain foods in order to attain righteousness. They misunderstood the law altogether, as if the law could give them life instead of imprisoning everything under sin. That's Galatians chapter three, verse 21 and 22. While they they initially began walking with Christ by the Spirit, they somehow had shifted into a mindset that told them that they could become perfect by living in the flesh, by fleshly efforts. In other words, if they try harder, maybe they can attain the goal. So I think if we remember that occasion, I think that helps us understand what Paul is not saying in Galatians 5. Paul is not saying try harder. In fact, it was trying harder that got the Galatians into trouble in the first place. You see, we're on this very delicate balance of needing to diagnose why we have bad habits, why we have sinful habits, and at the same time, to not say, just get better. You cannot try hard enough to get out of sin. We are not all that different in our own mindset from the Galatians. How often have we attempted to change civil habits simply by making resolutions? Anybody make New Year's resolutions? Why do we do that? Right? I mean, we kind of joke about it and we laugh about it. Like, Yeah, I've got a resolution. But there's something that it reveals about our mind and what we think about resolutions and how they work that shows a a fallacy that we live in. This year, I'm not going to lose my temper as much. In the new year, I will worry less. And until then, I will worry about how much I worry. It's not that resolutions are bad in and of themselves. It's simply that they're not enough. I'm all fine with people making resolutions, but they're not enough. They do not have power change. Resolutions are not how people change. They cannot change your habits. There's, this is true for several reasons. First off, resolutions tend to focus on actions and deeds, what I am going to do or what I'm not going to do. And yet something more is needed because my habits are not just deeds, right? My habits are not just what I do. Habits are desires that are enfleshed by action. Like, imagine if you could take invisible desire and put a capsule around it. That's a habit. Habits are your desires that are encapsulated by action. Resolutions are the mind acknowledging what needs to be done, right? So when somebody says, I need to eat healthy. Yeah, my mind acknowledges that I need to eat healthy. Habits, however, are based on the things that the heart wants to do. When you start thinking about resolutions, you can speak about what you need to do, but when we're talking about habits, we're talking about what you want to do. Am I the only person in the world that what I need to do and what I want to do are often completely different things? I need to eat healthy? I want cinnamon rolls. You see, it's not... It's not off our rocker to say that sometimes what we say that we need and what our resolutions are and what we want and what our habits are, those are sometimes polar opposites, completely opposed to one another. And the reality is, is as long as I stick over here with what I think I need to do, but I never really address what I want to do, my resolutions will never stick. That's why resolutions fail. They attack only deeds. They attack only actions. They attack only works. But they never, ever, ever challenge desires. This is why you find so many former addicts that have given up one drug and now they're addicted to something completely else. They've changed the action, but they haven't changed the desire. Desire remains. Friends, you making a legalistic set of rules for this year will not keep you out of sin. It will not bring you to repentance. It will not change your life. The second reason that they're unable to do so is that resolutions tend to be based on our own willpower, right? I'm going to. Whatever you know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat healthy, and we tend to put up motivation stickers, right, and give ourselves high fives. We read self-help books that tell us how to celebrate ourselves when we do these things and how just just have the drive, develop a willpower. But the problem with your willpower is that it is broken. See, the only bad thing about resting on your willpower to change anything is that your will is fundamentally flawed and fallen. You can't even want the right things. So your willpower, as great as it might be, may be just a good way to get the wrong thing. How many times have we, have we attempted to do good things, to, to, to have good actions, but to get it For the wrong desires. The danger of living purely by resolution alone is that we may be spending all of our best willpower chasing after flesh based desires. A resolution to get healthier may be a cloaked desire to be more appealing to others. Not so much whether I have the energy to serve God and to love my family, but so that I catch eyes. So that I look more appealing.
1: So that people applaud as I get to wear the skinnier
0: jeans. It's a good action to get healthier, right? But for the completely wrong desire. A a resolution to read more. Maybe a subtle bid to look smarter than others. (laughs) I'm on this little app called Goodreads where you make habits. You kind of, you try to, Uh, state what your goal is for the year and what you're going to read. And man, I'm always intimidated by putting in a number because if I put too little, all my smart friends will think I'm dumb. If I put too many, then all my dumb friends will think I'm pretentious. So suddenly it's not even about reading. It's just about what I look like as I'm reading. Even in that resolution, the flesh comes out, doesn't it? Reading's good. Reading's healthy. I love reading with a cup of tea beside me. It's so restful. But the moment I think about what number it is, and one of my friends going to say when they find out what number it is, my resolution becomes sin. A good way to get the wrong thing. And so while making resolutions not necessarily bad in and of itself, it's just not enough to effectively change your sinful habits into spirit-led habits. Your willpower will never suffice. Paul warned the Galatians against wrongly placing their hopes in fleshly efforts, and I think he gives us the very same warning. Don't your legalistic resolve is not gonna help you. The life that began by the Spirit cannot be perfected by fleshly efforts. No no matter how rigid and strict your discipline might be, you can impose a hundred new rules in your family, and it will not bring you any step closer to true godliness because godliness doesn't come that way. To walk by the Spirit, as Paul says, does not mean to live under law. It means to walk by the Spirit which we'll explain here in just a minute. Principle number three. Everyone is on a trajectory. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. If you know me, I have a a resolution to read more C.S. Lewis. Coincidentally, I've read everything he's had, so resolution number one has been accomplished for the year. So, C.S. Lewis once wrote this. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices... All your life long, I want you to listen to this carefully, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred of God with its fellow creatures, and with itself. Let me just simplify, simplify that for you. Everyone is living in a direction. Everyone is living out their orientation, either to God or away from God. Every day, every year, every habit, every thought, every action, we become either more hellish in nature or more heavenly in nature. You see, the vision of the New Testament is that all of the Christian life would be further up and further into God's holiness and God's desires, that we don't go back and forth. We don't have two minds wavering back and forth, but we grow up into the desires of God. Now, if you're not growing up into the desires of God, you're growing increasingly away from them. The reality is is that your habits reveal what direction you're heading. They signify what tell us that you'll arrive at. All of life is shaping us into the people we will eventually become. That's why it's so serious to think about what we do. Don't just shrug when you find out you have a bad habit. Don't just turn away and say, well, yeah, I tend to fly off the handle. No, that tendency to fly off the handle can be far more serious depending on how deep it goes. It's something to be mourned and repented of. It's basically like saying, yeah, I've got snakes in my life. Yes, you do. And those snakes need to be killed. In the words of John Owen, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You let the snakes in your life, they'll choke you, they'll squeeze you, they'll eat you. Sin is not to be toyed with. It's deadly serious. For the wages of sin is death. It's say it till we're blue in the faces, preachers, and yet it is a message. We have to tell ourselves and everyone over and over and over again, there is no such thing as a small sin. Every sin is poisonous. Every sin sets you on a trajectory. And if that sin continues in practice, that trajectory continues. You know, we talked about habits being small steps in the same direction. Every sinful habit sending us in that direction. How do we see this? Let's, uh, let's look at it here. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I really don't know how else to do this next sentence or to soften it. But so let's just read it. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God.
1: That's a powerful statement. Our habits reveal what our
0: inheritance is. Our sin, our our, Our desire to live in sin, to live enmeshed in the rebellion of God, reveals a deeper danger about us. On the other side, when we live in obedience and we live in love for God, it reveals a dependency on the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, no condemnation. My friends, have you ever thought about that list? Any moment there is a lack of love in your life is the moment that the Spirit's not at the steering wheel of your control center. Anytime there's not peace or gentleness or self-control is a moment where the Spirit's not leading you at that moment. Sexual immorality, on the other hand, reveals who is leading you. Now, you might say, well, what about, you know, sure, but what about these small missteps that we have? I I generally obey God, but what about these small missteps? You know, I, I don't want to make light of any kind of sin or undermine the severity of any sin because I think all sin is serious. One small misstep or momentary lapse might not be all that worrisome, but if you have a pattern of the same sin over and over and over, it should raise an alarm at the least. It's a tragic inconsistency in your life. The phrase, those who do such things, can also be translated as those who make a practice of such things. It's not popular in a modern context. We like to be told that we're generally good people, and that it's all generally going to work out fine. The scripture, however, tells us that your sexual habits reveal which way your feet are pointing.
1: How scary is that? A person's
0: raging, dissension, their idolatry reveals which direction they're walking. And you see that long line of footprints behind them and it shows how long they've been walking in that direction. Now, none of this, I want to be clear about this, none of this is to rule out God's grace. Paul is not telling us any of this to beat us down so that we constantly look at ourselves and navel gaze at how worthless we are. He hopes we're already assuming that we aren't worthy in and of ourselves. If you live in that general assumption, then you can see the glory of Christ as he is. You're not worthy, Christ is. Paul tells us all this in order to highlight our need for grace. We are so embedded in sin our habits are so embedded in sin, our desires are so embedded in sin, that it is unfathomable that any of us can freely live for Jesus on our own. It can't happen. You cannot live for Jesus on your own. Fleshly efforts lead to fleshly works. Sin, you try harder, you sin more. (laughs) Make more resolutions without God's leadership, without dependency upon the Spirit. Guess what the result will be? An even nastier, bigger dog of sin in your backyard. It just happens that way. Only by grace and by the Spirit do we produce the fruit that God desires. We are in desperate need. As a Christian, do you feel yourself in desperate need? Desperate need. For the Spirit to bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here's the devilish reality about myself. You know why I read my Bible in the mornings when I can? It's not because I want to check Mark done it and did it. I've come to realize that my heart grows weeds of the flesh overnight. I'll go to bed, high and happy in the Lord. I'll wake up and immediately have all these fleshly desires. I've learned that I have to come to the Lord first thing in the morning. This is how sinful your pastor is. I have to come to the Lord first thing in the morning and say, Jesus, deweed my heart. Because if you don't pull these weeds up at this moment, you will have no love this this day. I will not be patient with my kids. If you don't break the stone and the soil and the hard soil around my heart, if you don't water this plant, if you don't prune back some leaves, there will be no gentleness. I'm a monster on my own. I need you to tame me at this moment and make me yours. My friends, Bible reading is not just so that you get smarter. Prayer is not just so that you feel good about yourself. When the pastor asks, how's your prayer life? It is your lifeline to having anything good from God in your life. Love joy, peace, none of that will come from you. You are barren, empty, broken, but he is rich and gracious, happy to plant seeds where there's none, happy to grow big, huge trees of faith where there once was none. We are deforested in our heart. With him, he creates new Amazons of grace and faith and love. My friends, flesh-based Justin is the norm. Flesh-based Justin that wants to ah, rip their heads off. Flesh-based Justin that doesn't know how to drive down I-35 without growing red. Flesh space, Justin, that tells my kids, if you make me get up out of this chair, I swear it's going to be the end of your life. That's the norm for us, right? It takes intentional coming to the spirit. Will you de-weed this terrible habit of overreacting? Will you de-weed this terrible habit of not being gentle? Will you de-weed this terrible habit of gossiping? Will you prune this? So that I can have that. I want my wife to feel loved. God help me. I want my kids to have a gentle and kind father. God help me. I want my coworkers to know that I am a patient man. God help me. I want people who step into my house feel like it is a place of peace. God help me. I want to go to bed with joy and not guilt. God, help me, de-weed, break stone, and bring about the fruit that you want because you're the vine and I'm the branch and without you, I have nothing. My friends, that's the desperation you've got to bring into 2022. To
1: hell with your resolutions
0: because that's where your resolutions will bring you only by the Spirit of God can you have Spirit-led habits and actions that glorify Him and bring good fruit. completely lost my place. So what do you do? If you find yourself entrenched in the muck of sinful habits, as mentioned already, simply making a resolution is not going to get you anywhere, right? I think it's totally appropriate as we get closer to the end of this sermon to ask the Lord to change our desires. Unless the Lord picks us up from the mud hole that we're playing in and brings us to the beach and shows us how much better the beach is than the mud hole, we'll stay at the mud hole until he comes and forcefully grabs the lace chips of pornography and gossip and lust and power-mongering and envy and alcoholism out of your hands will you finally go to the feast where you can be satisfied we need him desperately to change our desires if we are going in a direction away from the kingdom call out to god for help that's called repentance turn to him. Repentance does not begin by doing better. Repentance begins by depending on Christ, his grace, and asking him to help in time of need. Following Christ is not easy. Paul and Jesus both compare it with the pain of crucifixion. Jesus says, "'If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me.'" Paul says the very same thing here in Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desire. See, the call to follow Jesus is nothing short of mortification. Difficult as it may sound, death to self and sin is what is required if you're to give God what he desires. The goal of sin is that you will die. How appropriate then is it that your goal should be to see your sin's death? It wants no good thing for you. So why harbor it? It may sound easy after this talk, right? Hopefully a lot of you are going to go grab your Bibles and it may sound easy. I'm just going to pick up my Bible and start reading. I'm going to put down my phone and kill my dependence on social media. I'm going to stop losing my temper with my kids. It's overnight. I'm just going to check myself. I'm going to have a little rubber band that I snap myself with every time I lose my temper. My friends, I just hate to tell you this, that in the moment when you get into the grind of it, it's going to feel like a torture of the soul. To put down the phone will feel like a cross. To pick up the scriptures, to memorize scriptures, will feel like crucifixion. Why? Because the flesh doesn't want it. The flesh doesn't want it. So don't underestimate how painful it's going to be. Paul says it's crucifixion. But in the moment of not underestimating how hard it's going to be, I don't want us to underestimate the Savior who prepared the way for us to do this difficult work. He was crucified first. And because He was crucified, though He had no sinful habits of His own, He set me free from slavery to my sinful habits. I don't have to do that anymore. He set me free. His death made atonement, and it opened the way for me to have spirit-led obedience. It says that he changed our hearts according to the new covenant. Actually gave us a brand new heart and implanted the spirit inside of us just to ensure that we would be able to now obey. Without the indwelling spirit, you would have no hope. But now that he lives in you, you do not have to keep sinning. You don't have to. Once you had to, now you don't. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. You're free from sin if you believe in Jesus Christ. Because he died, now you have died to your sin. Paul says this elsewhere. We're going to get deep into Romans this year. And I'm so excited. Paul says that we were baptized into Jesus' death. And because we were baptized into his death, we have also been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Paul says that at its most basic application, that means that we are now free from sin. So because Jesus died for our sins, we can now consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus died, because he rose again and he's our high priest who helps us in times of need and temptation, we can now live a completely new life. Now, Final principle. Paul follows through with his metaphor of walking by the Spirit as he writes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. My friends, what then are we to do? You are marching to the beat of someone's drum. It's not your own. It's either the flesh's or it's the Spirit's. Paul's desire is that you will now seek habits that have been transformed for your natural reaction to be love and peace and patience, not to be anger and outlash and raging. For you to have a spouse-oriented desire now to where you want nothing more than your wife, not what's on the phone. Paul seeks to see that in our lives. Every little reactive Twitter post, every angry outlash, every whispered gossip, every envy-based rivalry, all of that's in that chaotic drumbeat of the flesh. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to set a resolution the only resolution that will stick is that you resolve to seek Christ for help in life. And then seek habits that are in step with his spirit. Notice when you're out of step. Notice when you realize that you are going through the chaos of the flesh. Stop at that moment. Give your wife freedom to point out the raging and to say, honey, can we pray for you? You're clearly deeply enmeshed in the flesh right now that will feel like crucifixion.
1: Be free to confess to your kids that you lived in the flesh when you spoke to them in that way. Humble yourselves
0: enough to repent and to realize that it's not just quirks. It's not just character defects. Your habits are the muscle memory of your worship. It's time to create new muscle memory by worshiping the real God. You know, speaking about habits is very difficult. And we're going to do it a lot in the next, I guess we have two more weeks of this. And the idea is, is that habits can't just be changed. They have to be replaced with better habits. You don't just change gods. You have to replace gods, right? So you serve idols, you're going to need to repent and come to Jesus. But we got to be careful because on the one side, we don't want to fall into the pit of works. Just try harder, make resolutions, just grit your teeth and change. And on the other side, we don't want to fall into the pit of despair. You are who you are. No one ever changes. People don't change. I think we follow the Bible's better path. It charts a path forward for us. No, you cannot change on your own. But because Jesus died for you, He purchased your freedom from sin and you're a slave of your habits no more. Repent, trust, seek the things of God. Ask him to change your desires. Your habits can be transformed to honor God and glorify him. And that, my friends, is what a meaningful life will be in 2022. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will take this really uh, poor explanation of our habits. I pray that Jesus will be clear in it, that grace will be clear in it, but also conviction in the need to depend in Jesus. Father, I pray that you will change even our habits, that we won't have angry outlashes anymore, but that we'll repent and seek the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I pray that 2022 will be the year that we give you the growth that you are worthy of by your help and your strength and by your grace. God, we cannot give you what you don't provide to us. So, Father, please grow us and shape us in your gospel and in your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.